All right. There was this day uh, God was looking down at earth, and God saw all the mischievous behavior that was going on. Um, took a look, and he called one of his angels, and he decided that he was going to send this angel to earth to have a look. And so the angel returns, and he tells God, yeah, it's really, really bad on earth. 95% of the people on earth are misbehaving, and only 5% are good. And so God was thinking about it for a moment and said, well, maybe I better send a second angel and get a second opinion. So God sends another angel to earth to assess the situation, and this angel returns, and she goes up to God, and she says, yeah, it's, really, it's true. What, you know, what the other angel said was true. The earth is in serious decline, like 95% of the people are misbehaving, but 5% are following your ways and obeying your commandments. And so God was like visibly displeased. And so God decided that God was going to send an email, all right? And the email was going to go to the 5% of the people that were good because God wanted to encourage them to keep up the good work. So God sends this email to the 5%. Does anyone here know what the email actually said? No? None of you got the email, that's what you're saying? All right, well, I was just wondering because I didn't get it either. So this is a terrible joke. It's really not funny. I know, you're not laughing. I'm getting a look at it. I freely admit it's not that funny, all right? But there's a reason that I told it. I can just see the dagger looks. Again, yeah, it's not funny. I admit it, all right? But there's a reason. It actually describes... The, situa- the pretty desperate situation of today's text, all right? So Moses has been hanging out with God on Mount Sinai, maybe a little bit too long. The people get restless. They take all their gold. They form it into the mold of the golden calf. They worship it. Um, they give this counterfeit golden nothing cow all the credit for delivering them from their Egyptian oppressors, right? And so God sees what's going on and quickly sends Moses down to deal with the situation. You see how this relates, right? Bad joke. And so he goes down to take a look, and uh, he's, you know, 95% misbehaving would probably be generous in this outrageous situation. This is one of the just craziest stories of the Bible. And what, what the Bible says is that God is heartbroken by this situation. God is heartbroken and hurting, but Moses is enraged by this situation. And so similar to Noah, for those of us that remember the Noah story, that God is so crushed, so betrayed, so hurt, that God actually tells Moses that these, like, stiff-necked, that's like the biblical term for just stubborn and rebellious and sinful, these people, they're not worth the heartache anymore. It was hurting God so much to love these people that God actually threatens to kind of destroy him and to start all over again with Moses, like God, you know, we remember the Noah story, right? To try to create this nation that would actually walk in God's ways. And so Moses descends from Mount Sinai. He's got the stone tablets, right? The Ten Commandments. And uh, it's... This is, I don't know if anyone's ever seen this before, but it looked something, it looked something like this. Gets part of it right anyway. Go ahead. I don't want to screw it up, Destin. Moses went to the Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Moses, this is the Lord thy God. All right, we're going to try it over, because it's worth it, trust me. <laughs> it's totally worth it. It's one of my favorite scenes. But this is pretty anticlimactic right now, though. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, you, should, you could just hear it. <laughs> right. All right, it's not that funny. We don't need it that bad. Try it again, I guess. All right, hold on. 
I'm gonna let you do it. Moses went to the mountain, and God spoke unto him. Moses, this is the Lord thy God commanding you to obey my law. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, I hear you. A deaf man could hear you. What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord, why have you chosen me? What would you have me do for you? I shall give you my laws, and you shall take them unto the people. Yes, Lord! shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me, oh hear me, all pay heed, the Lord, the Lord Jehovah has given unto you these fifteen, (laughs) ten, ten commandments for all to obey. See, that one's worth it. (laughs) That one's totally worth it. All right, so not exactly, not exactly what happened, um, but it does get one thing right, uh, which is why I wanted to show it. The truth is, Moses does become so enraged, he just becomes totally unhinged, right? And that the scripture says that Moses' anger burned hot. He takes the Ten Commandments, not <laughs> 15, breaks five of them. He actually takes them with his hands, he throws them, he breaks them at the foot of the mountain, he takes the, this is incredible, like if the details of the Bible, right? This is remarkable. He takes the golden calf, he burns it with fire, ground it into a powder, scattered it in their water, and made them drink it. Like, that's crazy man, man. Like, I've seen some angry people before, you know, Wrigley. Um, <laughs> but I've never seen anything that even compares to this. Sorry, I couldn't do this. I just saw you sitting back there in the middle. Gosh, I'm killing myself today. Um, now, I think about this story, and when I, when I read that, I was like, I mean, I was laughing. I think it's funny. I would love to have witnessed this, but from a really safe distance. I mean, this is some serious, there's some serious anger going on here, right? And so Moses decides, he pitches his tent, he camps outside, and he wants to meet with God. And so this, what we're going to look at right now from Exodus 33, this is the, the record of this conversation that Moses and God have, trying to figure out, like, what are we going to do with this people, right? And so here we go. Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, Bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. Now, if I found favor in your sight, show me your way so that I may know you and may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. That's really important. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. He said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight and I your people unless you go with us? In this way, we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth. And so the Lord says to Moses, I will do the very thing that you've asked, for you found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses said, show me your glory, I pray. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one sees my face and lives. 
And the Lord continued, See, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The word of the Lord. It's a strange, isn't it? Some strange stuff in that text. So we're going to see if we can explain what it is that's going on. And so we have this conversation. Moses is making some really audacious claims and requests of God, right? The scripture says that Moses, before we get to this text, the scripture says that Moses talked to God like a friend, talks to a friend. That's how close their relationship is. And so they're sitting, gathered, Moses is meeting with God in this tent, and there's this problem that Moses wants an answer to. God has called him to lead this people to the promised land, but he knows that he can't do it alone. And so he knows that he has to have God's help. And so Moses is rightly concerned after this golden calf debacle, you know, God's actually considering a pulling out of the journey, leaving Moses and the Israelites to their own devices. And so here we have Moses basically begging God to stay. And so here's the interesting thing. The manner in which Moses goes about his request is fascinating. He wisely bases this request on one of God's promises. It's a really smart thing to do. It's brilliant on his part. He knows that God is not going to go back on God's promise, on this covenant promise. So God had already told Moses he knew him by name, that he loved him, that he had found favor. And so not only did Moses remind God of this favored status, right? But God also reminds God of the covenant promises that God made to the people of Israel. He says, consider to this nation is your people. That's audacious. Think about this. What do these people just do? And Moses basically like, look, this is not my, this is not my problem. Like, this is your problem. This is your people, right? They're the ones. You are responsible for these people. I told you, this is guys making some really audacious requests. But he's also right. They are God's people. And so God answers Moses' request. He agrees to go with Moses, but he didn't say anything about going with these idolatrous, the people of Israel. And so God seems to be seriously still considering pulling out of this journey to the promised land, ending the trip right there and letting them go on their own. So Moses actually ratchets up the pressure even more. He basically says to God, look, if you don't go, I'm not going. It's like a little kid, you know? <laughs> Look, if you don't go, because Moses, he's smart. He knows. They've got no chance. He says, if you don't go, I'm not going. And if you don't go, we're not taking one step. We're staying right here. We're not going anywhere. Now, Moses, he must think about the burden that this guy's carrying, being the leader of this people, right? He's got to be running on empty. He's got to be on fumes, right? Totally exhausted, at the end of his rope, overworked, and stressed out because uh, of the, the people that he's been put in charge of. And so Moses knows all too well that without God's provision, without God's protection and presence, that Israel has no chance, right? No chance. And he knows this. He knows they can't set foot in any direction and be successful without their relationship to God. So he knows that God leaves them its over. And so I found this incredible story uh, that highlights that the importance of presence, how important is God's presence to Israel. Well, it's important. Presence is important to us, too. And I found the story of these twin girls that were born in 1995, and they're not mine, all right? These two twin girls, they were born 12 weeks premature. 
And this was really cool when I read this. I'm like, oh, it's perfect. Because one of the twins was doing really, really well. They, they, but they put him in different, uh, what do you call them? Like bassinets, is that the right word? Okay, so they put these twins in, in different bassinets. And one was doing really, really well, super healthy and eating good color. But the other one was doing really poorly. And the nurses were watching this baby. And her heartbeat was rapid. She was visibly anxious. She wasn't eating and the nurses just looked at her and they were talking amongst themselves saying, this baby's not going to make it, right? They thought for sure that this, this one wasn't going to make it. And so they were talking about strategy and trying to figure out what they could do. And one nurse remembered seeing some training that she had seen from other parts of the world where they just take the smaller, weaker one that's sick. They picked her up, took her out of her bassinet and put it in with the other one, who was three ounces bigger. That's it. Three ounces, Right. And this little Brielle that was put in with her sister, her sister's name was Kyrie, three ounces bigger. And the nurses said that the improvement was instantaneous and dramatic. That her heart, rates, heart rate slowed to normal immediately, her color came back and she started eating. And a couple days later, the crisis was over and both babies were fine. How important is presence? Well, in this case, presence was life and death. This is what the Bible is trying to say. Right? Exactly the same thing. Without God, the people of Israel are finished. It's a life and death situation. God's presence was that important. Like two-pound baby Brielle desperately needing to be with her sister. Right? Moses knows that for the survival of the people of Israel, God must go with them on this journey or they should just shut it down. I mean, you know, you think about it. We know, we know the Bible well enough, the basic story. Israel's not chosen by God because of its wealth or its power or its prestige, certainly not its righteousness after the golden calf incident, right? It had none of these things. The only thing, and our text says it too, the only thing that makes them distinct, different than the other nations was one simple thing. It was the relationship with God that made them different. If you take that away, what do you have? You have nothing, okay? And Moses knows that. This is why he's so bold in his requests. Without God's presence, there is no distinction between Israel and the rest of the world. It was God who made them special. And it's fascinating that the reason that God decides to stay was because of Moses. Moses, the scripture says, found favor in God's sight. And so God says, I'll do the very thing that you ask, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. What a moment this must have been. When we think about this, God decides to stick around because of Moses' bold request to God. But Moses isn't finished yet. This like goes from audacious to some other words. Um, he wants assurances. He wants signs. He wants certainty. And what he says is he wants to see God for himself. And so he's got a lot of nerve, but it's a little bit understandable. When I was kind of put, trying to put myself in his position... Um, we do the same thing. Like Moses, we go through challenging situations, difficulties in our lives. Which one of us doesn't want some certainty? Which one of us doesn't want the certainty that Moses was asking for? It's the lack of certainty, maybe this feeling of being alone, that's part of our common experiences of being human. All the saints, past, present, and future, we've all felt this before. We've all longed for some certainty, and sometimes we don't always get what we want. We remember that even Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What makes us different? 
And so oftentimes we find ourselves in Moses' position. We're struggling with our faith. We want assurances. We want a sign that God is there. We want to know that God's really listening, that God's really at work in the world, that peace and justice are working, that God is really in control. And so Moses had caught glimpses of God before. He's asking for glimpses of God. But here's a few things that we've looked at in Exodus. We remember that Moses caught a glimpse of God in the burning bush, right? He also caught a glimpse of God in the cloud of God's presence on top Sinai, as we saw in the video, the little lightning and the whatever. Um, God also was in the cloud pillar that descended from heaven, but now that's, that's, not, that's not enough. Moses wants more. He says he wants to see God's glory. Well, don't we all? You know, we bargained with God before. If we could just catch a little glimpse, we would be willing to do what? Fill in the blank. We would give God everything. If I could just see this, if I could just know for sure, and so he makes this audacious request. He's almost demanding. He's almost argumentative with God. And this is fascinating. How does God respond to Moses? We might expect him to be angry or disappointed, but that's not what we see. God doesn't call him weak in the faith for asking for this glimpse of glory. God meets Moses' request with kindness and compassion. He says, yeah, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Rest, some peace of mind. Moses is going to have enough assurance. He's going to see enough to put his mind at ease. And so when he answered the question, Moses said, in Moses' words, he said, show me your glory, I pray. That's what he said. Show me your glory, I pray. And so God gives him kind of a yes and a no answer to his request. God gives this mysterious answer, one of the stranger scenes in Scripture. That God's going to show Moses something, but he's not going to show Moses everything. Moses would see God's back, but not God's face. Because to see that, the scripture says, would be certain death. And so God places Moses on this rock. He covers him with his hand until he passes by, and then Moses is allowed this little glimpse. And my question is, do you think Moses was tempted to peek? Like, seriously. You know, because this is where my mind is going, and it made me think about the eclipse that we had recently, right? And so I was on the day of the eclipse, I'm like, all right, I don't have my glasses, what am I going to do? And I'm like, I've got my polarized sunglasses, it's got to be good enough. So I got online, I started reading, I'm like, oh, please tell me I can just take a peek with my polarized, and it's like, no, the answer was no, you know, don't do it. Um, bad idea. And so if you stare long enough, you just burn your retinas and you go blind, Right? How tempted was I to peek? Oh, I, I can't even describe. I, I didn't, all right? I shouldn't have. I took a tiny peek. It didn't work. I can still see. Um, but if I had stared at it long enough, I would have regretted it for the rest of my life. Like, think about this. We can't even handle staring in a, an eclipse for a few seconds, right? And so what the scripture is saying, if you can't handle staring at an eclipse for a couple seconds, if you see, seeing all of God and all of God's glory... It's not going to happen, right? We can't even handle, like, we were talking about this earlier. These lights are so bad, we can't even handle sitting, like, sorry. We see people are blinded sitting right there. And, and this is what God is saying. To see God in all God's glory is just, it's more than we could possibly handle. We can't handle seeing that much. And so there were a couple things I was kind of thinking about when we find ourselves struggling, desperately wanting to catch a glimpse of God. And I think I put them up there. Yeah, two things that we can kind of think about. I... I think what was true of Moses is also true of us, if we think about it like this. We may not be able to see God, but we can recognize God after God has passed by. Now think about this. We can't see God's face, 
We can't see God in all of God's glory. But like Moses, we will get glimpses of God's back. We can see the past deeds in our lives. We can see these acts of love, these acts of faithfulness and grace and acts of mercy. We can look back over our life. We can see that God's hand has guided us all along, that God's hand has been faithful. And so God showing love and faithfulness in the past can guide and inform our present and our future. Because what's true of the past with God can give us hope. And I think this is really important. In other words, it's God's faithfulness in the past. This is the best indication of God's behavior in the future, is it not? And so if we can look and see the ways that we've seen God's faithfulness in our past, that can guide our, our present and help give us a hope for our future. And I would love to be able for us to hear the words of God. These are the words that God spoke to Moses. Could we hear these words of God spoken to us? God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest because I know you by name. Can we hear God saying those words to us? My presence will go with you and I will give you rest because I know you by name. It's not just wishful thinking. I actually like this because I think that these kind and gracious and compassionate words are they're, they're true. I do think there's something that we can hold on to. They've been true throughout our lives. And so it's one of the primary reasons we gather on Sundays. To, we say we want to rehearse the mighty and faithful deeds of God. That is part of what we're doing when we gather together on Sunday to rehearse. That God loves each of us so much that God knows us by name. God loves us and promises to go with us when we leave this place. And God honors promises. This is, this is the thing we have to remember. God is a promise keeper when we're not. God honors promises when we don't. God is faithful when we are not, right? And that's what we're learning through this Exodus story. Despite the lack of faith in the people, God remains true to God's promises and character and faithfulness. And so the second thing it made me think of is, is the second thing is if we, in Jesus we catch more than a glimpse of God, right? And so Moses would have to wait for this. But there's this priceless conversation in John's Gospel. Some of us will hopefully remember this. It's this dialogue between Philip and Jesus, all right? And this is incredible. He wants what Moses wants. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied, Right? Show us God, and we'll be satisfied. We'll do whatever you want. You can have all of us, whatever. I'll give everything if you would just show us the Father. This is what Philip is saying. Jesus is like, I probably want to bang his head against the wall. His response, have I been with you all this time, Philip, Jesus said, and you still don't know me. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, right? That's what he says. Whoever has seen me has seen God, the Father and the Son are one, and so to see Jesus is to catch a glimpse of God. To know Jesus is to know God. To love Jesus is to love God. And so Jesus' disciples, they're, they're like us. They're like Moses. They wanted to see God, just like Moses did centuries before. And so what they came to realize was in Jesus, they had been seeing God all along. They had seen more than enough. I think this makes the life-giving words of Scripture, this is one of the things that makes it so precious, right? If we genuinely want to see God, we have to look to Jesus. 
In the life-giving words of Scripture, we catch a glimpse of God's glory, the glory of God's only Son. And so in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, we see the great lengths that God went to for us, for our salvation. And what the Scripture says, Apostle Paul, he says that someday we're going to see God face to face, right? This isn't like in a mirror dimly. We're going to, that's all we see now. But someday we're going to see all of the glory that Moses really wanted to see but couldn't handle and that we can't handle but want to see too. And so we may not have all the certainty that we wish we had, but God does give us glimpses of his glory. We thank God for these glimpses. We thank God that God doesn't give up on us, that God doesn't quit the journey with us, just like God stayed faithful to the people of Israel even after the golden calf, right? That God promises not to give up on us. Uh, It's, you know, through Christ that God looks at us and God can say the same words that God said to Moses. Because of Jesus, God looks at us, loves us, and says, I find favor with you. I'll go with you. I'll continue through this difficult journey of life with you. Now, I absolutely love Moses' boldness. At first, I was like, man, this guy's got, you know, a lot of nerve. But maybe we should ask for as much of God's glory as we can handle, but not anymore. Will you join me in